Good evening, everyone, and welcome to World News Today. I'm your host, Elijah Morningstar. Our first story tonight comes from Norway, as a groundbreaking new study has been released detailing the effects of reply all and CCing emails unnecessarily. Apparently, the amount of digital trash being created by the pesky reply all and then the reply alls to the reply alls and next thing you know, the reply alls have babies in your inbox and you have at least a gigabyte or 12 to clean up. Please use discretion when replying all and the world just might be a better place. That's all for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. I am Elijah Morningstone. Thank you and good night. There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. There is so much I wish I would have known before I made the freedom jump to the independent side. I mean, even now, I feel like I'm learning something new every single month. We're all about helping insurance agency owners and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. My team and I replaced six years of captive agency revenue in 17 months with RiskWell. 17 months, man. It's crazy. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and what I've learned along the way. We lay out a blueprint of how to make your freedom jump from captive to indie to market domination. I'm bringing you colleagues from markets across the country with dozens of different specialties. They're eager to share their stories and best practices with you. I'm your host, James Jenkins. Welcome to Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. All right, episode three. How is it going, everyone? I am your host for this little adventure, James Jenkins. Welcome to the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we exist to help people, help you, help our listeners go from captive to indie to market domination I'm glad you chose to spend some of your valuable time with us wherever you are, morning, noon, night, you're in your car, you're sitting at your desk at your office, you're relaxing at home, sipping a cold beverage, wherever you are, I'm glad you chose to spend your valuable time with us. Before we get going, I have the same three requests as I will have with every episode. The first one is that if you are listening to us and you find value, please subscribe on whatever your favorite platform is. We're live on, I think, eight major podcast platforms, but the subscription numbers help drive the algorithm and get your platform to share us organically with others. So please subscribe if you like what you hear. Right along with that is drop a review. If you like the content, if you're getting something valuable from it, take 30 seconds and type out a sentence or two, uh, leave a review. Again, that just helps so much drive organic traffic and bump the algorithm so these platforms will put us out in front of more people. And the third ask is by far the most important one. You see, somebody in your circle is in need of a freedom jump. 
Someone owns a captive agency. Someone works at a captive agency. And this podcast is going to help them see exactly how they get to make their freedom jump. So share this podcast with someone in the captive world today, and they will definitely thank you for it. Also, have a couple of quick housekeeping items before we jump into the content of today's episode. And that is in response to a couple of questions that I got from Freedom Jumpers on social uh, who messaged me, one on Facebook and one on LinkedIn. The first item I need to, to just state very clearly, I got the question, hey, uh, James, are you going to have some kind of a, a coaching or uh, a mentorship program, like a, a paid thing where we uh, can get you know, more content, you know, the good stuff? And my simple answer was no, uh, that is not in the cards. That is not my vision for Agency Freedom Podcast. That's not what I'm trying to accomplish here. I think part of the, the best value of what I can be for our listeners, for our freedom jumpers that are regularly engaging uh, with this podcast and, and with me and the community that I intend to create is that this is not a paid thing where I'm looking to make money off of you, the listener. I'm an agency owner. I'm a team leader. Uh, I'm in the trenches right alongside you and I will continue to be. Um, Full disclosure, there's nothing wrong with having a coaching program. Uh, some of my close friends and colleagues in the industry are very successful uh, with their programs, uh, and they are you know, media personalities in the industry. More power to them. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, that is just not the vision of what I'm building here with Agency Freedom Podcast. And the second one uh, was, was less of a question uh, more than a, a comment and a statement of, hey, James, most of your content so far has been geared towards the agency owner uh, and not the producer. And and I got to say, that's my bad for not being a little bit more uh, inclusive with my language and uh, and terminology. But the, the person who is currently in a producer or a sales role in a captive agency, that is going to be great for the Freedom Jump experience in just the same way as anyone who is either owning a captive agency or someone who has already made the jump to the independent world and is listening to this podcast to simply get better at what they're doing in the independent world already. So regardless of where you are right now, whatever your role is right now, uh, I think these truths, these concepts apply to you equally. Uh, your application of them is going to look different, but the validity of these concepts uh, applies just across the board. So thank you for those and keep them coming. Uh, As always, you can email uh, feedback, suggestions, ideas, requests, whatever, to us, to me at podcast at riskwell.com podcast at riskwell.com. I personally read all of that email until this thing blows up too much, and then I will pay someone to read it for me. Uh, But until that point, uh, when you email, I will read it. So our topic for this episode, episode three, we're looking at two more of our uh, 12 concepts, our building blocks of the Freedom Jump experience. And this episode is all about social and technological concerns. 
Uh, I say concerns as a, a neutral word because there are both positive and negative. There are both opportunities and there's also landmines for us to unpack together. The, the phrase has been said many times that you are the best and the worst of the five people you hang around with most often. And I think that is very true in the business owner world because as entrepreneurs, as small business owners, most of us are, um, you know, misunderstood people uh, to an extent because unless you are in the trenches, unless you are an entrepreneur, even in the insurance world, like unless you are an insurance entrepreneur who is responsible for the, the pipeline, building something over a long period of time, no one in the insurance game gets rich overnight. But over the course of several years, many years, you certainly can. So we're talking from a social context of the human side of things, the relationships that we are getting into uh, of a social context. And then we're also talking about social media, the different platforms out there and the strategies in a very broad, high-level sense, because Lord knows we could make several episodes of very specific strategies on how to leverage social media for uh, your business gain and, and profit. We're going to stay really high level in this episode. And then once we unpack that, we're going to get into the technological, the technical side of concerns. Again, both positive and negative opportunities, but also potential threats and landmines. We're going to look at the software and the hardware side of things. We're going to make uh, some suggestions and best practice recommendations for uh, some vendor concerns that you should be aware of. And we're going to uh, wrap up this episode with uh, specific action points for those who are intimidated or uncomfortable with technology. I am under no illusion that everybody in my audience is a digital native like I am. I was born in, in 84, grew up in the 90s as personal computers were becoming completely normal. Uh, my dad uh, was very familiar and friendly uh, with technology growing up. So, I mean, I had a, a computer at our house and, and a mouse and keyboard in front of me uh, from a pretty early age. But a lot of our listeners, a lot of the people that are going to be looking to make that freedom jump are not digital natives. So if you're listening to this and you're not a digital native, if you are perhaps a good bit older than my 37 years on this planet, then fear not, my friends. There is plenty of room for you to kick some tail and enjoy your own freedom jump with your own market domination. So on the social side of things, we're going to look for just a moment at how the jump is made structurally because there are a few different ways that we can make the freedom jump. There's a few different paths that you can take. When you're leaving the captive world and you're going to the independent world, it, it really could be one of three things. The first one is that you are coming in and you're not in an agency owner role. You may very well be taking a position, being a team member on an existing insurance in, uh, agency, uh, independent agency, I should say. You could be coming in as a sales producer or in, in some operations role or you know anything other than launching your own agency straight out of being in the captive world. That's option one. 
And for some people, that might be the right fit if you are of the mindset uh, that you don't necessarily want to be all in from day one. Or you may be in a situation where a life stage just doesn't allow for uh, you to go all in whether that is family responsibilities or uh, capital constraints, there's a lot of different reasons for not um, going all in from day zero. But that first option uh, is definitely something to consider. The second option is the scratch solo agent, where you are not working with anybody, you're not in a network uh, or cluster alliance, aggregator, whatever. You are a purist and you are looking at everything coming on your own. You're going to go out and get all of your own appointments. You're going to set everything up by yourself. You're going to figure it out all for yourself. And uh, you you are the lone ranger. Uh, that is definitely uh, a, a viable option. It, it depends on what your background knowledge is. Maybe you were only in the captive side of insurance for a few years. Uh, you come from a, a background of business ownership prior to insurance. There's, there's a million different flavors of this freedom jump thing. It's, it's part of what makes it so much fun. But that second option is completely solo. You're just going to do your own thing. You don't need anyone else. Uh, you're going to run your own agency from top to bottom. And good for you. More power to you. I don't mind saying that I am uh, personally a fan of the third option uh, as well as I think when we look at it structurally from the captive perspective, coming out of the captive world, where we have so much that's built in uh, from a support structure. In the captive world, we're used to having district managers or uh, area sales managers swap out whatever terminology you are familiar with for the carrier that you came from. I used to be a farmer's agent, so the, uh, the language that I use is uh, district manager. And then we obviously had uh, regional and state level uh, company employees. And then the, the field training people, uh, the district staff, your colleagues at district meetings, lots of, you know, road shows and workshops. It's a very social thing on the captive side. And for that reason, it is so very common for captive agency owners to gravitate to the third option, which is uh, getting a part of an alliance, a cluster, an aggregator, um, I'm not entirely sure what the difference is between a cluster and alliance and an aggregator, um, but they're different words that are thrown around pretty commonly. In my experience, those words are interchangeable, but whatever, that's an aside. I, I just think it's a little silly. We have so many different words that mean basically the same thing. You know, captive agent and, and sales professionals, we are social creatures. We're used to running uh, in, in packs. We're used to having a built-in uh, network of people to talk to, to bounce ideas off of, to ask questions of, to get support. Uh, it can be very difficult coming from a captive world into a, an independent world where, I mean, everything is so new. There are so many things that are different, that operate differently, that things happen differently. And if you don't have someone around to help you, just to be aware of things, to point out where the landmines are, which, I mean, as an aside, that's kind of one of the big things that we're doing with Agency Freedom Podcast is helping you identify uh, the things that you should be aware of as you are making the freedom jump. But whatever your flavor is 
the first, second, or third option. And if you are choosing the third option, just know ahead of time that that's an entirely different conversation uh, that is rather complex. There are lots of pros and cons of all of the popular options, uh, whether it is uh, SIAA, which I joined, we've already talked about, um, but ASNOA and Canyonlands is a, a popular one in IAOA, uh, Rocky Mountain West. Uh, there are so many uh, much larger groups that I'm not um, in any way personally familiar with. Uh, Iroquois and Keystone are some two rather large groups. Smart Choice as uh, another one. And if you're overwhelmed with all the different options out there, well, there you go. That's part of the problem, uh, part of why it is uh, so important uh, that you have some kind of a roadmap. I would say if you are going to consider uh, the third option, make sure you have a well-informed conversation, that you are interviewing a lot of folks and getting feedback uh, from people in those networks and making an informed decision before you jump in. Because typically when you jump in, it's, it's relatively hard to leave um, simply because the financial incentives for remaining involved with whatever cluster, aggregator, alliance that you choose, uh, it can hurt your bank account to leave because you're, you're losing a lot of positives. Uh, so anyways, that is an important conversation. We'll have some more discussions in more detail later on. I, I definitely think uh, it is likely that most people will gravitate to the third option if they're coming out of a captive ownership or a captive um, team member role. So when we look at what your social engagement, uh, your social circle looks like, I would say it is so incredibly important uh, that you are getting a tribe. Whoever it is uh, that you select, if it's an IAOA group on Facebook, the Insurance Agency Owners Alliance, if it is a, a local group of insurance people that you just find in your local market, Wherever you find your circle, your tribe, I got to encourage you in the strongest possible uh, terms, find other people that have an abundance mentality that want to run together to encourage each other to bounce ideas and struggles and questions uh, off of each other and just to be colleagues because it's not some silly slogan that doesn't mean anything in real life. We really are better together. And as an, as an industry... Um, there's a lot of challenges for the individual, the small agency owner, even the you know the medium-sized agency owner. It's the captives are are definitely a challenge uh, from a brand awareness perspective because I mean they're just flooding uh, the airwaves, you know, radio, TV, direct mail, etc. The direct writers and the captives are basically the same in that regard. You can't turn on the TV for 10 seconds without seeing a, a Geico or Progressive or State Farm or Farmers or Allstate commercial. Uh, they inundate us. We also have to be mindful of uh, the insurtechs and the, the mega brokers, uh, the large national groups that are backed by hedge funds and, and private equity money that are gobbling up the small locally owned independent office uh, like they're eating at the buffet. I, I see those larger groups. At this point in my career, I see them as an adversary. Uh, they get in the way. And I know that is a, a controversial topic. And a lot of people could rightly say, hey, new guy, you're ignorant. You know, Stop talking about things you don't understand. There's definitely a time and place to be acquired uh, and to join a larger network, uh, whether that is 
you know, a hub, a Brown and Brown, Aon, Gallagher, uh, Willis, whatever, uh, MMA. There's, you know, five, six, seven, eight of them that uh, love to eat shops like Riskwell uh, for a, a light snack and they wouldn't even blink. I have no interest in ever selling. I'm a lifer. I'm building a legacy here. There really isn't a multiple uh, of EBITDA or, you know, annual revenue that I would look at. But I, I am way down the rabbit trail. So sorry for uh, indulging a little too much uh, in, in that, that squirrel. So when we're looking at, from a social perspective, just get yourself a tribe. Whatever that looks like, find your tribe and run with the people that you want to run with that are like-minded, that are going to help you um, because you're going to need help. Even if it's just a headspace thing, this game is an absolute grind. Uh, there are some days when, my gosh, it is just not any fun at all. You feel like you just got kicked in the groin and then, you know, curb stomped while you were on the ground collecting yourself. There are plenty of great days. Most of the days are great. Uh, most of the days I truly enjoy and find great satisfaction in what I'm doing. But there's also plenty of days where, you know, you just got to embrace the suck as the saying goes. And it's much easier when you've got a tribe. So, if you've been used to practicing a scarcity mindset in the past, it's a great time to swap it out for an abundance mindset and stopping uh, thinking of your uh, industry colleagues as the enemy and looking at other uh, locally owned offices uh, as potential collaborators, uh, referral partners, and certainly uh, colleagues and friends because we truly are better together. Uh, cue the violin music and okay we're all done with that one so moving now into social media we're going to look and at a very high level here uh, we're not going to dig into any of the specifics I have to stay disciplined or else I would just completely run out of time and we wouldn't even get to the technological stuff in this episode. I'm going to say something that might be a little bit controversial uh, because a lot of people are a huge fan of being everywhere and dominating uh, as much as possible uh, or at least attempting to dominate. I would say very seriously, like when you are getting started, especially at, in the, for the first few months, first year or two, until you have someone on your team who is specifically responsible for managing your social media, if you're not you know, outsourcing it, you need to pick two or three at the most. I would say ideally two for most of your effort, but pick two to three platforms and focus all of your energy on those platforms. Where are your target prospects hanging out? Where do they congregate? What are they doing in social media? For me, for RiskWell, it really comes down to Facebook being uh, the first one and LinkedIn being the second one. The other platforms, I just don't have much time for. Uh, Instagram is more of a personal thing. Twitter, I've never really gotten into. Uh, I'm not cool enough for TikTok or whatever the other things are that come down the line later. So uh, for my office, it is Facebook and LinkedIn. I would really encourage you to figure out uh, two or three and forget the rest. And, and that's going to allow you to increase your quality as well as your quantity uh, of posting and engagement, specifically in groups. And we'll talk more about this in future episodes, but the groups is really where the meat and potatoes are. 
that is where a lot of the the more targeted time and energy needs to be spent. And I got to say that it's really important uh, that we are very specific and intentional and methodical about your business activities on social. Because the very same platform that you are interacting with your channel partners, your vendors, your target clients, etc., that same platform is also where you are probably interacting on a personal level. And so it is intrinsic <laughs> to the conversation that it's really, really easy for it to become a massive time suck. If you allow it to be, you have to exercise discipline in what you're doing on social or else you'll find yourself you know, blinking twice and waking up and realizing, oh crap, I just spent a half an hour and I have nothing to show for it. You know, going back to our last uh, episode, being mindful of the time value of money, you've got to be disciplined with how you're spending your time there. So as I said, groups are where the real value is. Pro tip, the faster you can find a legitimate reason to start uh, your own group uh, and be the admin, be your own little mayor of Facebook town or whatever, uh, find something that is relevant uh, that a lot of people want to be around other people that do that thing or like that thing, you know, whether it's an interest or a club or uh, a local uh, city-based group. Uh, like there is, you know, a hundred moms groups out there. Uh, moms got some crazy wicked loyalty. Like my wife is in several of these moms groups and I swear it is absolute gospel. Um, if she gets a consensus from a whole bunch of moms that are saying the same thing, uh, man, like it, it is almost unquestionable. So whatever your group opportunity looks like, whatever you're trying to to do with social, and that goes back to the sales and marketing conversation where figuring out what your niche is, it's critical that you're aligning all of your activity uh, in the same direction so you can get greater effectiveness from the sales and marketing side of things, which we haven't unpacked yet, uh, but we certainly will uh, in, in future episodes in the not too distant future. So there is a line in the sand drawn uh, in, in the social world, social media world between organic traffic and paid traffic. Uh, organic traffic in, in the Facebook page side of things, just about everybody feels compelled to start uh, a page for your business. And, you know, five years ago, the Facebook page was really useful. You could get good traffic, you could get good engagement, and people did stuff on pages. And over the years, Facebook is the worst about this, uh, but the organic traffic on pages, the actual like lead generation that happens organically on your page is basically zero. Because Facebook has locked down their algorithm and they simply don't show any of your content to a relevant number of people. If you're going to do paid traffic, that's where the page comes into play. And a few years ago, this is back in 2016, back when I was still in the captive world, uh, we were leveraging, which back then in 2015, 2016, the whole idea of a, a dark page, incognito page or whatever, um, was really cutting edge. It wasn't completely overdone. Um, and I mean, at this point in 2021, as I record this, it's not even a thing. Like, it's not even old news at this point. It's just 
so old it's not even being done anymore uh, with any kind of real effect. Um, but the paid traffic side of social is an entirely separate conversation. And I'll probably um, have that be one of the specific interviews uh, that we bring someone in just to talk about paid traffic. Uh, Nick Ayers uh, with Made You Look Marketing, uh, also one of the founders of IAOA. Uh, Nick is a great interview. Um, also, Chris Langel uh, at Local Traffic Marketing, also a, a really, really credentialed, uh, credible expert uh, to talk about paid traffic, whether it is Google AdWords or YouTube or Facebook or LinkedIn. Now, there's a lot of different ways to spend your dollars getting paid traffic on social. So I'm going to save most of that for a completely separate conversation. I'll just say, uh, as, as an aside, as we you know, put that back in its box, you really don't want to dabble in paid traffic. Again, to, to go back to episode two, we have to be mindful of time value of money. We have to be mindful of our ability to get something done in an effective and efficient way if we are way outside of our knowledge base. It's a great opportunity to outsource, to get someone else to leverage their talents uh, to be well worth whatever you pay them. Because if you think about it, let's say for like local traffic marketing, for instance, let's say I pay them a thousand bucks a month to manage the program. And I have no idea what they cost off the top of my head. I'm sorry, Chris and team, if I'm just grossly um, misstating what your, your model looks like. Let's say it's a thousand bucks a month for the management, and then my ad spend is another thousand a month. So I'm all in a thousand plus whatever the ad spend, because if I do it myself, I'm going to spend a thousand bucks on ad spend anyway. But how much is my time worth? If I'm spending anything more than five hours a month, or let's six or seven, my math is not too great. Um, it's almost 10 o'clock in the, uh, the evening as I record this. Sorry if I'm a little bit fuzzy on some of those uh, details. The, you know, six or seven hours is kind of the break even. So if I spend anything more than six or seven hours in a month, then it's no longer a good idea for me to be doing it. And that is assuming that I'm as effective with those six or seven hours as hiring a professional would be. So that's a perfect example of application of episode two's content of time value of money. Yeah, I could dabble in that. But how much is the dabbling going to cost me in opportunity cost? And also from an efficiency and effectiveness cost, what's the delta between what a professional could do and what I can do dabbling? I would say it's probably a pretty large number. Uh, the, the net difference to my bottom line of hiring a professional uh, for the paid side of social uh, I think is a very good idea. So again, I don't have anyone uh, that is a sponsor uh, in that area, uh, but I have had several conversations with Chris and his team. There are literally hundreds and thousands of people uh, that would be happy to have you pay them to run your social media and paid internet traffic uh, to your page landing page, YouTube channel, social media asset, whatever. Um, so uh, we'll go ahead and move on from there. The last thing I'll say on the social side of things, uh, it is from a just a ground floor organic side of things. If you go by the rule of 10, 10, 10, uh, and that is 
uh, liking 10 posts of people that you are connected with that you want to improve algorithms with, find relevant reasons to comment on 10 posts, and find relevant reasons to have 10 tags of people that you want uh, to be building uh, algorithm chains with. Uh, because they don't call it edge rank anymore, but it used to be uh, a part of the algorithm on these social platforms where if you are using the emoji, little the little reaction things, and if you're tagging and sharing and liking and commenting and whatnot, uh, Facebook, for instance, decides that you like this person and you want to see more of their content. And if you can do it in such a way that they reciprocate, if they engage with you, then there is affinity built in the algorithm and things happen where you'll see more of their content, they'll see more of your content organically. So if you're following the 10-10-10 rule, then you're, you're definitely going to see an increase in getting the content in front of the people that you want it to be in front of organically, provided that you are engaging with them in a way that is authentic and relevant. So you really should have some application, whether it is on your phone. There are, gosh, there's like a dozen different ones that I have on my phone uh, right now for creating these little graphics, um, type image, um, meme generator, uh, typorama is another good one. Uh, I'll put the links uh, in the episode notes um, for this episode. But if you see the stuff that I make on, uh, on my Facebook uh, that is typically made by Typorama, uh, and it is an um, iPhone app. I don't know if it's on Android. Uh, if you're on Android, just go ahead and sell your Android phone and move to iPhone. And then you can have Typorama and all the other apps too. So yeah, I don't have any interest in alienating uh, 40% of my listeners, so I'll just leave it at that. So having your own way of creating content systematically uh, in a way that is consistent and on brand is really important. Whatever you do, it needs to be cohesive. Whatever your your message, your narrative, it needs to be thoughtful because it's confusing and it sucks away your credibility uh, if there is not some sort of, of vibe in all of your posts. If there's a look and feel that is consistent, it's going to help with your brand uh, with the way that people perceive you uh, as a professional on social media. So when it comes to having other people on your team representing you, your agency, your brand, it's a very good idea to have a formal policy in place um, for who is going to be uh, allowed to use the agency assets, uh, the accounts on the various platforms, who's allowed to post Who's allowed to speak on behalf of the agency? That is something that you need to nail down uh, as early as possible. So that's really it for the social side of things. We'll go ahead and move now into the technological side of things. Hey, Freedom Jumper, are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. 
with a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed. Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. And we're about 35 minutes in. Uh, I'm going to speed up some of the content here because we don't need to have every episode uh, be an hour long. So we're going to talk specifically software and hardware. Uh, if you're the kind of person that doesn't care a flip about technology, um, then you're going to be you know, pressing that skip forward 15 or 30 seconds um, button here. There's some pretty specific uh, things that I think you should be aware of. Um, so I'll try to be as relevant as possible uh, to a, a broad base and not just the, the techie people that care about this stuff anyway. So from a software perspective, I'm going to put my risk manager hat on. Let's take the insurance agency owner hat off for just a second and put on the risk manager hat. You really need to think about getting an IT service provider, an outside um, body that can help you with doing things like uh, system updates and regular offsite backups, active system monitoring, uh, firewall and virus scan, and everything that you and I recognize the importance for but don't have time for. This is a great opportunity to engage with a trusted local partner who can help you uh, with system maintenance and upkeep and security and limit the impact of a potential breach event in the future. So definitely want to get uh, a third-party IT service provider. Also, a password manager is just about essential, whether it is LastPass, uh, which I use. Uh, LastPass is, is, I think, 12 bucks a year for an individual user license. There are other options uh, that are more expensive for Teams, but a password manager, in my opinion, is absolutely essential. You need to be using a unique individual password for every single login uh, in your system, every platform, every carrier, every resource, uh, your email, your social. Everything needs to have a standalone unique password because it's going to limit the opportunities uh, for you know bleeding of your data in the event uh, that you are compromised or there is a breach in some way. And right along those same lines, we need to make sure that every person on your team gets their own login for every system. Because the challenge if you are sharing logins, aside from the fact that it's probably a violation of your terms and conditions, uh, the expectations of your carrier appointments, for anything that is of a more sensitive nature, you absolutely need to be having uh, unique logins for everyone on your team. Uh, aside from the fact that it is critical when tracking down uh, if there was a, a bad actor situation. You know, if someone uh, was taking information that they shouldn't be, or if there was an actual crime being committed, misappropriation or embezzlement of funds, or you know, some sort of funny business, it's very easy to track if you have a digital footprint that leads back to a, a unique login. Right along with those, those same ideas, you have to have formalized processes and procedures for data management, data hygiene, and long-term data integrity. Uh, this is 
not just limited to your agency management system and your CRM. It's also your file folders, the way that you handle your data, the way that you catalog it, the way that you save it. Where does everything go? What is your workflow uh, and standard naming conventions for your files and folders? It's a really good idea for mirroring your file folder system on your local computer with whatever you have in the file system on your AMS. It is scalable that way. It makes it a lot easier for you to keep track of things. And this is where having a, a unified ecosystem for your office becomes really in handy. Uh, there's kind of a tribal mindset when it comes to these, these ecosystems. Uh, your Google tribe and your Microsoft tribe really are the, the, the two main players. For my office, we are Microsoft all the way. We leverage Teams uh, in just about every way that you can, uh, as well as OneDrive and SharePoint and all of the Office products, you know, Excel and Word, of course. Google has a wide variety of complementary products that is the Google flavor of all of those things. Uh, I'm not familiar with Google uh, in a personal sense, so I will leave that uh, for others to talk about. Uh, suffice it to say, whatever you're doing, you just need to be thoughtful and consistent about it. If you have consistent naming conventions and a standard hierarchy for your file folders, for instance, in my office we have uh, top-level folders for five areas, and we have it broken down where there is a SharePoint site for each of these five areas, I should say six now, because we recently created the partners uh, top level area. But it's broken down into back office, business development, carrier resources, operations, which is a pretty broad one you can imagine. And then training and culture is the, the fifth one. And then, as I said, we have a sixth one we've just recently added for, uh, for partners. And that is for vendors, for channel partners, uh, for carrier um, other programs that don't really fit in the you know carry resources thing. But if you have something set up where all of your files, all of your stuff has a place where it goes, all of the client files, whether it's personal, commercial, for us, we have a third category for real estate investor, but we have very specifically defined naming conventions and an organizational structure for our files and our folders. So we know along the line, for instance, if we are talking with someone in a discovery call and we're able to collect a declarations page or loss runs or get a supplemental app filled out or accords or certificates, we know automatically where all of those things need to go, both locally on our computers that sync with OneDrive, as well as uh, being uploaded into our management system. Now certs, our management system does not yet uh, have an integration with Microsoft OneDrive, uh, but I'm told that they are working on that. Uh, later this year, it should be rolled out uh, most likely, and I'll be very eager for that. So your formal process, your formal procedure, it just needs to be in place and it needs to be adhered to because otherwise it, it's just in word and not in deed, uh, and it's not going to be able to be deployed. Uh, you really should consider having some kind of intranet where all of your data and processes and training resources are kept. Uh, we use Microsoft SharePoint for that. Uh, there are lots of different ways of 
creating an intranet. Uh, you could have pages on your uh, website that are not accessible to the public. Uh, there's, there's a lot of different ways. You need to consider how your team is going to communicate. Uh, that needs to be really thoughtfully planned out ahead of time. Very strongly recommend uh, having a platform like Microsoft Teams or Slack. Uh, those are really the two uh, most popular options. Uh, there are, of course, lots of others as well, but Teams and Slack have complete domination of that market for you know internal communication and, and sharing of things. Again, this is really high level. Uh, we don't have uh, the opportunity to go in depth on any of these things right now. Uh, I imagine most all of these things we'll have full conversations on later and, and best practices and ways that you can deploy and use these in your office. So right along those lines with the communication uh, platform, you're going to need to figure out what your phone situation is. Uh, do you want to have a legacy phone system with a physical desk phone? Uh, would you prefer to have a, a wireless headset uh, and a soft phone where there is an app on your computer, on your mobile device, but there's not a physical phone sitting on your desk anymore? My office has elected to go with the headsets and uh, soft phone. We made the move away from Ring Central uh, a little more than a year ago. Uh, we moved to Lightspeed Voice uh, for our VOIP uh, provider, and we've been very happy with them on desktop. Uh, the soft phone app uh, is not fully developed yet, and it is a pain point. Um, Steve uh, Moore is, is now rolling his eyes at me if he hears this episode because he, he knows full well uh, that, that that needs to happen. And Lightspeed Voice is very soon, uh, depending on when you're listening to this episode, they may already have uh, the updates to the mobile app and the soft phone. Uh, and once those two things happen, I don't really know if I have any complaints with Lightspeed. We're very happy with them. Otherwise, they're uh, very reliable um, Ring Central is definitely the biggest vendor in the VOIP space. Uh, my personal experience with them was not uh, terribly positive on the service side of things, but the product itself is very stable and a lot of agents are very happy with them. Um, so if you haven't already, I'm sure you'll be checking out Ring Central as well as uh, whatever the other vendors are that you're giving consideration. So going back to our operations conversation in episode two, you really need to figure out what the flow is for inbound communication. Are you going to have a dedicated point person that answers the phone every time that it rings? Are you going to have some sort of phone tree? Uh, are you going to have a round robin or something like that? If you are solo or if you have a very small team where the number of people that are available to uh, do certain tasks for you, now this becomes even more important. And if you are solo, I've very, very strongly encourage you uh, to have a phone tree uh, that allows people to leave uh, different voicemails uh, for different purposes. It allows you to automate as much of the, the process as you can. For whatever reason, you're not able to answer the phone. Say you're in a meeting or you're already on the phone uh, or you're in the middle of, of doing something else uh, that is you know critical when you're the only one uh, in the the office. Uh, this is a great opportunity to reflect on the importance of having good staff, even from the very beginning. Uh, I think it's incredibly challenging, if not completely impossible, uh, to scale effectively if you're by yourself. 
Um, so definitely want to be um, mindful of staff and we'll definitely have the staffing conversation in depth uh, later episodes, probably lots of episodes. So cyber liability and data breach are huge concerns. Uh, insurance agents are certainly not immune from those concerns. And we're going to be very careful uh, to engage in good uh, practices uh, that's not exposing us and our clients to unnecessary error uh, and, and risk and threats. The amount of data that the typical insurance agency has in our possession makes us a really nice, juicy target for hackers and bad actors, people that want to take your data. Because the simple fact is the targets of the world uh, are not the primary um, one, they're not the profile that most of these bad actors are going after. They're small and medium-sized businesses that have enough meat on the bone from a digital perspective. They make good targets. They're profitable. The number of records that the bad actors are able to get their hands on is significant enough to be profitable, and they know that these smaller offices like you and I are typically not well-protected. We don't have the right uh, security and safeguards in place. We make really good targets, unfortunately. And a lot of offices are woefully unprepared uh, for a breach event, for a cyber attack. We will definitely be talking about cyber liability and data breach from a concept, uh, from a coverage level in later episodes. Uh, I've, I'm a huge believer in uh, having a cyber liability plan in place and having a having an insurance program that is very responsive in that area. So when you are building out your software, it's very important that you are delegating uh, access to the various system resources and permissions. Asking yourself, does person X need to have access to this resource? You're going to save yourself a lot of hassle uh, in the future when there is a breach event or someone uh, leaves or is fired. It's, it just makes it a lot easier if the data access has been properly segmented along the way. And it's a really good idea for social engineering, uh, for fraudulent transfer risks, if you are requiring a live or written approval for all outbound payments over a certain small threshold. Uh, because you may not uh, care about you know, a $500 payment being made to someone that shouldn't have been made, but it is a, a great way for the 500 to become 5,000 or 5,000 to become a much larger number. So having live approval or counter signature for any of these sorts of exposures, you know, to social engineering and fraudulent transfer risks, the amount of money that goes through a typical insurance office uh, is a lot more than most other businesses of a similar size and staffing um, footprint. Moving now on to the hardware side of things, we have to talk specifically about physical firewall and wireless access points. Uh, just write those down. If you're, not, uh, if you're not already subscribed to the episode notes, it's a great opportunity uh, to uh, see the value in that right now. You can go to riskwell.com slash podcast. And right there, you can sign up for our uh, email distribution list every Friday at 
um, whatever time in the morning it is. Uh, it'll typically be pretty early in the morning. Uh, we will have an email go out along with that week's episode. It will have the notes, uh, resources, um, and anything else that is discussed in the episode that I feel needs to be shared uh, with you. It'll make it a lot easier for you to keep track of the stuff that we talk about. So just as an aside, going back to the hardware, uh, as we wrap up this episode, you need to have a physical firewall that's the Ethernet is plugged into. I really strongly suggest that you're getting an enterprise-grade wireless access point that has SSRI encryption. Um, your your IT guy can guy is a gender neutral. There's plenty of IT ladies out there as well, uh, just as an aside. The firewall and the wireless access point are going to be great uh, protection uh, to make sure that you're not having someone uh, hop on to your Wi-Fi uh, without your knowledge. If your Wi-Fi gets compromised, then all the computers on your Wi-Fi are also compromised. Um, so getting those things protected, uh, putting barriers in place between your office computer system and the open internet is really important. So one thing that's very uh, operational in this conversation is the simple fact that all agency business needs to be conducted on agency-owned assets with full security and remote wipe capability. You don't want someone to be doing agency work on their personal laptop. If you're going to have people work from home, and I recognize that there's a capital constraint that may be in play here, but if you're going to have team members work from home, very, very strongly recommend as a risk management best practice that you are providing them with a laptop that has been loaded with the appropriate security measures, live monitoring, as we've already talked about, from your outside IT professional, as well as the ability to have a kill switch on that computer. If it's lost or stolen, then you need to be able to remote wipe that thing without having any sort of exposure or data compromise. The same goes for phone conversations. And just as an aside, um, it's not really uh, pertaining to this particular conversation uh, directly, but um, having material conversations on your personal cell phone, in my opinion, is a bad idea. Uh, Texas is a one-party authorization state for the recording of phone calls. Check with the regulations in your state. If you have the opportunity to have single-party consent uh, for the recording of phone calls, uh, then do so without even having a notification. And if you're in a two-party uh, state where you'd have to have the notification of this call may be recorded uh, for quality and training purposes, then by all means. But I try as much as possible to not have a material conversation on my personal cell phone because it's not recorded and there's no way for us to capture and catalog that conversation. Whereas if you call my office, inbound or outbound, all of those calls are captured and recorded. And the agency management system cross-references the email address, or the phone number, I should say, um, with the database. So if I make an outbound call and the number matches a number that is um, in the management system, it's going to capture and save that phone call to that prospect or insured's file in the management system. If I'm making that same call from my personal cell phone, that call's not getting recorded. And as far as the, the permanent record is concerned, that call never happened. So as we look at just basic practices for 
data security, your hardware in general, if you just think of it in a general sense of agency business should be conducted on agency property, uh, whether that is a desktop computer or a laptop or an a agency-owned mobile device that is has the appropriate uh, security hardware and software installed, you're going to make your life a lot easier for a future breach event if you are following this practice. So, you want to make sure that no one is is being careless with the use of uh, PPI, personal protected information. Uh, you don't want your team member, you as an individual, should not be uh, engaging with PPI on an unsecure device, whatever that may be. So that's basically it for the hardware side of things. Um, for those of you that skipped all the way through it, um, more power to you. Uh, hopefully that wasn't too much of a technical side of things. Uh, there weren't too many acronyms there. So we're going to wrap up very quickly with action points uh, for those who are intimidated or uncomfortable with technology in general. And the first action point is simply, if you don't want to do it yourself, uh, and there's no pressure for me to do it yourself. Uh, outsourcing it to a trusted, reputable, local third-party vendor. Uh, we use a group uh, that is here in McKinney, and I actually met them at the Chamber of Commerce. And we've been using them for a couple of years now. I'm very happy with our technician. Uh, he does a, a great job for us. He is attentive, and he is worth much more than I pay him on a monthly basis. I promise you that. The second is don't be shy about getting help from other agents who are similar in size and structure to go back to the whole IAOA conversation. Uh, it's a great opportunity to be asking other people's opinions, gleaning best practices from people that you respect and admire in the industry. Uh, don't be shy about you know, putting the question out there. And then the third one is you need to be conducting yearly audits of your entire techno ecosystem, technological ecosystem. Uh, it's a great idea every two or three years uh, to hire uh, some sort of uh, third party. It might be your IT service provider if they have that capacity. It could also be uh, a cybersecurity uh, firm that can help you uh, do an internal audit to make sure that your uh, systems, processes, best practices, etc., cetera, uh, are, are operating in the way that you would want them to. So you are being mindful of uh, your data security. Uh, both uh, software and hardware is engaged in a way that is protecting you from um, unnecessary threats and risks. So that is really it for the content for this episode. We tackled social and technological concerns. Uh, these two areas can really be a, either a major asset and advantage for your business, or they could be a hazard. They could be a threat, a major pain in your backside. And it is entirely up to you how you engage with these topics. And the simple fact is, if you don't engage with them, uh, you don't get to have them as an advantage. And your competition down the street may very well uh, be able to get a leg up on you uh, if they are better leveraging the social side of the insurance world. Social media, certainly, and technology, certainly. We didn't even have the, the automation conversation. We didn't even say the word automation for maybe this entire episode. I don't know. Yes. So the, um, did we? Did we did not? No. Okay. 
Okay, thanks for clearing that up. So the that's really the end of it. Um, so what we're going to do next episode, in case you were interested in that, uh, we have now tackled three of the 12. Our next episode, episode four, is going to handle contractual and physical uh, concerns, uh, just like we tackled social and technological in today's episode. So again, welcome your feedback. Please send us an email if there's anything that we can help you with. If you have ideas, uh, if there's something I said that offended you, uh, by all means, tell me how terrible I am uh, at podcast at riskwell.com. You can also sign up for our mailing list uh, at riskwell.com slash podcast, and we will send you a once weekly email with resources and links and whatnot. And the the same three asks we had at the top of the episode, I will also make at the bottom of the episode. Please subscribe on your favorite platform wherever you're listening to us. We need all the subscribers we can get. Please take 30 seconds to leave a review if you enjoy the content that we're doing here. And last but not least, certainly most important, please pass this along. Share the Agency Freedom Podcast with someone in the captive world uh, who needs what we are doing, who's going to use these concepts, use this advice to make their freedom jump and reach more of their God-given potential. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. I am your host, James Jenkins. We exist to help you go from captive to indie to market domination. This has been episode three. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we'll see you out there next time, boys and girls. Make it a great day. Thanks so much. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you gotta do is you gotta admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial, but you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.